Hello everyone and welcome to the SGD show where I, SGD, talk about anything and everything I find interesting. Today's show I'll be mainly discussing Sonic screwdrivers through the years, but first we're going to cover the news. Now the news is really just going to be anything that, again, that I find interesting. Usually it's going to be on my uh, trifecta, which is Formula One, uh, Eurovision and, of course, Doctor Who. So the kind of big news in the... The big news stories of the week, I guess, uh, Hamilton to Ferrari, which is a lot of people are kind of saying it's surprising. I, I wouldn't, I don't think it's surprising in as much as it's, un, it's not surprising, it's unexpected. It's unexpected in the sense that I think everybody thought that Hamilton was going to retire. He was going to finish his contract with Mercedes and then 2025 would be his last year and that would be him. I'd find it that he's done a <clears throat> multi-year contract with Ferrari is surprising, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, here I am saying it's not that surprising. I mean, it is. It, is, it straight up is surprising. Okay, I've disagreed with myself already. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's going to be fun. It's going to be interesting to see him up against Leclerc. Uh, what I <laughs> what I kind of hope Hamilton does is go to Ferrari wins a championship in like his first year and then goes, ah, there we are. There we go. That's me done. Proving it's not the car. It's been Leclerc and Sainz the whole time. I don't think that's what's going to happen. I think Leclerc and Sainz are good drivers. Uh, but I think it's been arguably, you'd say 2017, 2018 was the last time Ferrari had a complete driver in Sebastian Vettel in his prime. And even then he was prone to bizarre mistakes that, Hamilton's maybe made two of in his entire career, which is amazing to think of, to be fair. So, yeah, I think that's it's going to be cool. It's going to be good news. Also, uh, there were reports this morning, at the time of recording, I should say, um, that Ferrari were, like, they were going to invest a lot more in Hamilton's side projects, which, I mean, I'd be surprised if that was a deal breaker because Mercedes must have done, maybe Mercedes were just saying, hey, you can do what you like we pay you to race our car and Ferrari have gone, hey, we like what you're doing. Here's another 50 million or whatever. Uh, another Formula One news, we've got the confirmation that the Japanese Grand Prix will be on the calendar until 2029, which I think is brilliant. Uh, literally about 20 minutes ago, it was announced that the uh, F1 Academy, the winner will now get 10 super license points, which is amazing. I think it said the top five will get super license points, which is good. Um, and I think the most interesting thing for me is that they are going to do wild car race, uh, wild car, uh, wild card uh, drivers. So host countries <clears throat> can get a one-off pass for a racer from that country to go and race, which is brilliant. I mean, Formula One used to do that way back when. And when I say way back when, we're talking 70 odd years ago. Um, but yeah, potential for some major surprises there. I think what I, what I love about F1 Academy absolutely love is they are doing everything a feeder series should absolutely everything and when i say a feeder series really i mean an entry-level feeder series because by the time you get to like uh formula three and formula two formula two especially you don't really want to be doing things like world cup like wild cards is for the the first rung on the ladder which f1 academy was obviously meant to be and i, I think it's proven to be an absolute an absolute treat to be honest i watched the uh, i watched most of the races last year they were fine um, in the sense that, I mean, most of the F1 races tend to just be fine as well. Uh, we also saw the Williams and Cerber cars. Um, as I'm recording this, Alpine are in the process 
of announcing, not announcing, unveiling what I think is probably just going to be their livery. Uh, but we will see uh, another... Okay, so just having a little look here, seeing if we do have the Alpine car. So the Williams looks, uh, I mean, like a Williams. Never really looks that interesting or new or whatever. <clears throat> um, and the Sauber, which has been announced as well, just looks looks ugh, awful. I'm not entirely sure what the what the plan was with that, but obviously the, this is just going to be a couple of years of random branding until the Audi money and uh, sponsorship kicks in. Well, I say sponsorship. I'm pretty sure they're just straight up buying them, aren't they? <clears throat> and then, lastly, kind of a Formula One news is uh, the obviously the allegations against Christian Horner, uh, which are exactly just that. And I'm not going to go into any detail about what they are. You can find that for yourself if you want to have a look. Just remember, these are just allegations. <clears throat> um, obviously, on Friday, uh, he will be having meetings with you know his own lawyers and whatnot about what's been going on. Um, and obviously, take everything you read in the media with a massive pinch of salt. Things like the well, I can't name the, the publications, but there are well-known tabloid newspapers in the United Kingdom which. Uh, have decided that Horner has done X, Y, and Z, uh, and, and you know, claiming that his wife's in tears over the news and all this nonsense. So <clears throat> that could be true, but what I'm saying is just let, uh, yeah, don't believe everything you read, basically. Uh, so that's kind of it for the Formula One stuff for this week. Uh, Eurovision has been quite busy. We've had a few countries pick their entry. So we've had Spain's entry, which is called Zora, which I believe is Spanish for the word bitch. Uh, it's fine. Uh, I mean, it's it's it'll probably do well. Uh, it's not the most interesting thing Spain have ever sent in, but, you know, it's better than last year. Norway are sending in uh, quite an interesting, almost Ireland-esque, rock kind of nordic thing uh again it's fine i'll probably like it more come may but watching the national final um kind of just made me sad that it wasn't going to be kano again their song was amazing they performed it brilliantly they've kind of come out and said look we're probably not going to do melody grand prix again which is a shame um <clears throat> obviously i mentioned briefly ireland there uh bambi thug representing ireland uh, with Doomsday Blue, which at the moment I think is probably the best entry we've got this year so far. Uh, it's certainly the best entry Ireland have sent in in decades. Uh, I think qualifying is a no-brainer. And, you know, lipstick wasn't my cup of tea, but I've got to accept Jedward, you know, got, got Ireland back into the top ten for the first time in about six years for them. And the first time Ireland have been in the top ten without a ballad. So it'll be interesting to see how well Bambi Thug does. I hope she does well. Ollie Alexander, ever representative uh, this year, has announced that the song is called Dizzy and it will be releasing on the 1st of March, which I'm very excited about. I do kind of, I like the fact that looking at the, the bookies and where they put different countries, you know, a lot of the time it is absolutely random, but it's been a long, long time since the UK were even near the top. Very, very, very long time. Last time we were this high, this early, was when we announced we were sending blue. Um, and, you know, they only ended up coming 11th. So I, I have high hopes for Ollie Alexander, though. I really do. I think, I think he could do, 
he could get us into top five just on his talent alone. Sam could get us into the top five on his talent alone, and Spaceman was an absolute, absolute bop. We did a great job of that on the night. So, <clears throat> fingers crossed we do something good and don't end up, you know, with the, the, the problem that we seem to come across is, like, our last, I would say our last few entries have actually been good songs. But the singers haven't, like, May Muller is not that good a singer live. James Newman wasn't that good a singer live, but their songs were brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Embers was amazing. Oh, I could go on for a while about Embers. Uh, so Ukraine have also picked their entry as well. Now, <clears throat> if you know anything about Eurovision um, and national finals and whatnot, uh, Ukraine is a little bit infamous. If not, that is absolutely fine. So... Um, dating back as far as 2011, as far as I can remember off the top of my head, Ukraine get a little bit funny with the Eurovision entry. Um, Putin, Russia's uh, president, famously believed Eurovision should come to Russia because he saw that as an opportunity for, you know, well, if we're hosting it, everyone will come to Russia, money, happy days, great. Um, and in 2008, when Russia won, that was predicted months prior um, due to the pressure that Putin was putting on the countries around them. I'm not saying that Dima Balan didn't deserve the win. <clears throat> um, however, it's if, you know, a British commentator five months before the event can accurately predict they're going to win, something's a little bit dodged. But, hey, that's why the juries are back. Long love them. Um <clears throat> Yeah, anyway, so, but he always kind of left the national final selection alone. He didn't really get involved in that. Now, bizarrely, especially this year, so in 2011, there's a little bit of, have a little bit of context to, to what happened the other day. In 2011, uh, they had their national final, uh, and there was three acts that were going to get through to an inverted comma super final. One of them being Zlata Ognovich, who would go and represent them in 2013. Um, with a song called the Kukushka, which is brilliant, arguably a lot better than what they ended up sending. I mean, what they sent, I'm pretty sure still came top five anyway. So I mean, <laughs> hey, uh, I can't actually remember the name of the name of where I just remembered there was a Mystic Meg in the back doing like sand drawing. Mika Newton Angel, maybe Mika Newton Angel. Anyway, um, <clears throat> so there was going to be a super final where the three of them are going to be invited back. I can't remember the exact details of why they didn't just do it in the final, uh, but they picked a day where they knew only Mika Newton would be available. as uh, Ognovich was raging. And they just sent Mika by default because she was the only one that turned up. But of course she'd be the only one that turned up if they picked a date that they knew only she would be available for. So that was 2011. Um, the next big controversy that I can certainly think of that comes to mind. Uh, it was 2020 when Maruv won with Siren Song, probably the best entry to never get to Eurovision. Uh, if you've never seen it, go and watch it. It is an absolute powerhouse performance. It is sexy, it's sultry, it's like major dominating vibes, but fundamentally and most importantly, it is a thumping good song. Um, and she was told that uh, she wouldn't get paid for going to Eurovision. She'd have to pay it herself. She would have to pay for her flights there, her hotels, her state, the whole thing. And she was like, well, wait, what? No, 
like what you what you're talking about and paying for the whole thing i won the national final like that's it is the broadcaster's uh you know incent not not incentive prerogative is the word i'm looking for to organize all that um in 2016 i think ireland's entry uh god what's his name he sang Nicky Byrne Sunlight. Uh, he famously, I say famously, um, he rejected his fee, as in, like, you know, here's money, please perform for us. Uh, he said no to that so the money could be spent on the staging. Probably should have taken the money. Um, yeah, so that happened in 2020 as well. So come 2023, nope, we're in 2024 now, blame me. So comes to 2024. I'm watching Ukraine's national final and we're four and a half hours in and nothing's happening. And that raises red flags for me. Like as I was watching it, I was saying to I was saying to my wife, you know, this this is something dodgy's happened here. Ukraine are fiddling something. Like there's no way. Um and then when the winner was announced, it was a bit of a surprise, to be honest. Uh I can't remember their name, but I think the song was Teresa and uh, Teresa and something. Anyway, it's not it's not my cup of tea. I think there was much. There was one entry in there which I was just flabbergasted that they didn't send, which was Melvin with Dreamer. I wasn't the biggest fan of his performance in twenty eighteen with Under the Ladder, uh, but I thought the song was phenomenal, and I was listening. I watched the whole national final one. This is the only one that's actually half decent, uh, and then they didn't. They obviously didn't send it. Um, Melvin, the day after, raised, you know, well, this is an app that's used by the government that has never crashed before in spite of attempts by, you know, the Russian occupiers of Ukraine. How the hell did it crash for this, the, you know, for this one part? And how the hell did first place get 600,000 more votes than second? Which is unprecedented, I've got to say. Um also, he he highlighted it was bizarre that the the scores that the juries gave didn't actually match with what they said, and that he was surprised there wasn't more transparency in all the voting. It was just here's the eleven, here's the eleven. This is the gap between X, Y, and Z, um, which is all very very fair comments. Uh, I then found out a little bit after after doing a bit of research that the team behind Ukrainian's entry have offered to help pay for the uh you know the 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 actually sending them to eurovision and whatnot and all the fees that are incurred with that so can't imagine why the ukrainian government would want to send someone who's going to pay for them <clears throat> anyway think of that what you will but i i chalk that up as up oh, ukraine being ukraine uh we've got our hosts for eurovision as well and much more positive news uh lady whose name again escapes me gosh i used to be so good with people's names no, I can't remember a darn thing. But the most important thing for me, uh, I think, I think was she, is she in, is she in something? Is she an actor? That worked quite well in 2014 with the Danish dude who ended up in Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, <clears throat> uh, the important thing for me is that Petra Meda is back. And Petra Meda, uh, if you are relatively new to Eurovision, has hosted twice before, in 2013 by herself and in 2016 with the... Winner of the previous year's contest, Mon Zemmerlev. 2016 being probably, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I still think that is the one of the best Eurovisions I've ever watched. The and and 
in terms of the show, in terms of the production, I mean, Love, Love, Peace, Peace is an absolute masterclass. Uh, regardless of kind of what you think about the winners or, you know, Australia's second year of participation, all that stuff, it was a thumping good year. Absolutely thumping good year of Eurovision. Um, and yeah, to have Peter Mayda back is phenomenal. She is brilliant. She will absolutely own it, just like she did uh, eight years ago. And yeah, happy days. So that's kind of all the Eurovision news at the, again, at the time of recording. Uh, Doctor Who news is a little bit thin on the ground, as it probably will be for the next few weeks until oh, Noah Russell will probably get a trailer in April for season for season one, um, or series uh, 14 if you prefer, <clears throat> or season 40 or 41 if you prefer, depending on how you want to count it. There you go, my season one. I'm happy with season one. If you know, if we're calling this a reboot, I'm fine with. I'm genuinely fine. Not a reboot. I guess it's another revamp, isn't it? We're revamping the series again, starting it from fresh, like we did. If we look at Shooty Gat was Doctor as you know, we're taking Doctor Who somewhere different and new again. Brilliant. I'm on board. I think the by generation makes that work brilliantly. Um. Yeah, but we're gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna call it season one because, well, why not? That's what they're calling it. I'll call it season one. Happy days. But you know, in the back of my head, I also go series one is season twenty seven. But hey, but season one, fine, happy with that. Um, yeah. So we'll probably get a trailer for that sometime in April. Uh, obviously, I guess the big news for the past couple of weeks: potential spoilers ahead. Lovely. Um that Millie Gibson might be departing the show well as as permanent companion after series one uh, season one sorry but come season two she could be recurring uh, and then obviously there there isn't an official announcement for the for the new actor who's playing the companion uh, but we will see fingers crossed oh Russell Russell T Davis also has come out and said that in an ideal world we would already be about halfway through season one. So he would have wanted it to start airing in January. And the reason why it isn't is because of the special effects. Now, I love that. <clears throat> Absolutely love that. So I'm a massive gamer. And video games at the moment seem to be the only piece of entertainment that if it's not finished, well, <laughs> well they'll try and delay it. About five years ago, arguably to about a year or so ago, there was a big period where they would release video games whether they were finished or not. And people stopped stopped accepting it and just went, well, we're not going to give you money then until it's done. So <clears throat> I think especially with the sort of slamming that Marvel's had recently for its CGI and its M in the MCU, uh, just kind of looking at CGI in general and special effects in general in the past few years, I mean, even just looking at the special effects for Series 13 and Doctor Who, I mean, they're absolutely appalling. Um, and, you know, it's now a case of, well, hold on, were they appalling because they just ran out of time? And according to Russell T. Davies, yeah, actually, they were. Um, <clears throat> on the video commentary for Wild Blue Yonder. For Wild Blue Yonder? No, there wasn't one for Wild Blue Yonder, was there? I can't remember. It was either for the, it was the Giggle. I think it was Wild Blue Yonder, but, hey, it might not have been. Um... <clears throat> Could have been the Star Beast. Anyway, for the video commentaries of one of them, uh, I think it will be the Star Beast, actually. He's saying, because they recorded that on the 1st of November, and he said they're still doing CGI work on Episode 2. 
Now, obviously, that's a majorly CGI-heavy episode, and that'll be one of those where I think some of the CGI didn't quite hold up. But, I mean, ran out of time. Literally ran out of time. And I was thinking about this, I think about this a fair amount, to be fair. Um, because I kind of think, well, maybe we surely just keep going till it's done. But there will never be an end point until, unless you have a deadline. There will never be an end point. George Lucas is a testament to that with how often he fiddles with Star Wars. Like, if you don't say to someone you need to get this out on this day, you, why would you stop? You would just keep going because also technology moves at such a rate that after a month you'd go, oh, well, that now looks rubbish in comparison, so let's just keep going. And there comes a point where you just have to stop and go, right, that is, that's that, that's done. Um, but I think the fact that, that Russell T. Davies has the presence of mind to go, well, if we have to wait for a month so that it doesn't look like crap, then we wait for a month so it doesn't look like crap. So I'm good on him, loving that. I uh, don't kind of the sad news is Michael Jason passed away. Uh, Michael Jason being the man who wonderfully portrayed the Valyard in Trial of a Time Lord and in several big finished productions as well. Uh, thoughts to his family and friends and hope he rests in peace. So we now move on to the main section of the podcast, which is Sonic Screwdrivers. Why have I decided to do my first episode on Sonic Screwdrivers, uh, except it was top of my list. I made a whole list of <clears throat> things that I thought would be interesting to research and think about and talk about. Sonic Screwdrivers happened to be top of that list, so Sonic Screwdrivers is what we're doing. We will be covering all of them, so second Doctors all the way up to Shooty Gatlas 15th Doctors, Sonic Screwdriver, Stroke Sonic Remote Control, <clears throat> and... Uh, at the end, I'll kind of be going through them and maybe giving them a ranking, maybe, and go, oh, this is my favourite. This one's a bit rubbish. Probably just on the design, because if I go on on their usefulness and what they can and can't do, the second Doctor's one is always going to be at the bottom, and the 14th is probably going to have to be number one. Uh, <clears throat> so let's have a little look then. So we're going to start, of course, with the second Doctor's Sonic Screwdriver. We'll go through kind of appearances and whatnot. Um, literally just having a look through a whole bunch of Wikipedia pages uh, to grab some information. Let's see how we go. So, Second Doctor's Sonic Screwdriver was the first such device used by the Doctor and was somewhat primitive in its capabilities relative to later designs. Prior to the creation of this Sonic Screwdriver, both the First and Second Doctors were seen to utilise song devices with the latter of these inspiring the Screwdriver's Genesis. Now, in my memory, and I'm sure I'm about to be proved wrong, this is only ever used once, and it's to actually take a, 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 a screw out. It's actually used as a screwdriver. Um, and I can see I'm already wrong. So you says this iteration of the Sonic screwdriver functioned as a conventional screwdriver without a physical without physical contact with screws, as shown in the war games. Hey. Opening up hatches, panels, and control panels, like in Fury in the Deep and the War Games, and on occasion the Doctor also used it to cut through a section of a wall. Well, there you go. Have fun. Right. Uh, what else have we got here then? So it's history. Uh, there's a lot of stuff here um, about, you know, the expanded Doctor Who universe, which I would implore anybody to go and have a look at in terms of books, in terms of audios. Uh, I'm not really going to focus on that when I do things like this. Um, I'm going to kind of skim past that stuff just because it, it's. I feel like it's a bit more accessible 
to just focus on the on what's been in you know the kind of TV show and its related spin-offs rather than the kind of whole expanded universe but I'm aware that it's there um, I haven't actually read any uh, original novels other than some of the ninth doctor ones uh, I've listened to a lot of the big Finnish audio stories but I can't say a lot of them have like stuck with me and um, that's not as a testament to their quality or lack thereof I just something I find it a bit difficult to just concentrate to like you know an audiobook basically but yeah, so <clears throat> let's have another wee look around here then. So later, says he, the first Doctor definitively did not possess a sonic screwdriver, leaving him confused and somewhat irritated when the twelfth Doctor utilised a future model, talking of course about twice upon a time. So the second Doctor was carrying a device, yada yada yada, nope, gonna ignore all of that, because that's all about an audiobook. Second Doctor used sonic screwdrivers of a different design, including one looking like a life safety jacket whistle or like a metal pin light, which could get a trigger attachment. Well, there you go. That's that's pretty much it, isn't it? Yeah. A rod version of the screwdriver was kept in the 12th Doctor's office at St. Luke's University in the pilot. Yeah, lovely jubbly. Yeah, I mean, that's that's about as much as I remember the sonic screwdriver starting as, effectively just a, as a means to... As Russell C. Davis put it when he was bringing Doctor Who back, it's a way so that the Doctor doesn't get stuck behind the door because it's locked. And there's some interesting stuff behind the scenes about the actual prop, which uh, looks quite interesting. So in Victor Pemberton's script for Fury from the Deep, it was simply described as the Doctor's own version of a screwdriver. When seeing a normal screwdriver in rehearsals, production assistant Michael Bryant suggested using another prop and the device having sonic waves. Patrick Troughton then took a pen light from the visual effects department. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. I love that. Absolutely love that. That's brilliant. Uh, while shooting free for the deep trout and accidentally lost the original prop, and it had to be replaced at the last minute by Peter Day with the safety whistle. Yep, fine. Of Deborah Watling's life jacket suit. In episode 6, the second Doctor uses one of his devices together with some amplifiers to produce a sonic laser sound wave. But it is unknown if this is the sonic screwdriver, and if so, whether it was the retrieved original prop or not. The combined props are seen in a surviving alternate blah blah blah, that's a bit boring. The second Doctor Slim Penlight prop from the War Games has been identified as an ever-ready mod as an ever-ready model number 1980. Great. And then something about a video game. So that's really the second Doctor screwdriver. I mean it's it's basic. In terms of both functionality and design, it is not something I think I'd be screaming home about. Um so I think if, you know, if I was to try and give it some kind of rating system, I mean, I'd say give it one screwdriver out of 10 screwdrivers. Lovely jubbly. So moving on then to the third Doctor screwdriver, uh, used primarily by third, fourth and fifth. It did get a little bit of a redesign though. <clears throat> so model you have sonic screwdriver going through multiple modifications. That's what I just said was used by the 3rd, 4th, and 5th Doctors. Goodness, it's like I know what's going on. So the history of the screwdriver, big, big, big pitch here. So much larger than the 2nd Doctor Sonic screwdriver, this model elaborately detailed silver collar featured black and yellow stripes and red trim and could be pulled down to activate the screwdriver. It had a removable burgundy emitter head, which the Doctor would change with others, each performing a different function, i.e. the Sea Devils. Can't say I remember that, but hey-ho. <coughs> On one occasion, he removed the head entirely and replaced it with a small round mirror which spun rapidly when he tapped its head with his finger and hypnotised anyone who looked at it. 
That'll be Agador then. Accompanied by a yellow light on the collar of his sonnet screwdriver and the doctor singing a Venusian lullaby, it hypnotized the address of Agador into calmness. Hey, that's in the Monster Peladin? Curse of Peladin, fine. Third Doctor later fitted the head of a sonnet screwdriver with a cylindrical black magnet, which enabled it to open bolted doors. Wow, especially when its polarity was reversed. Hey, <laughs> this refit left the metal mostly unpainted with a dark red emittering. The head of this model could be extended. The sonnet screwdriver was confiscated when the Doctor was sent to the lunar penal colony and he never recovered it. However, the Doctor had a spare of both the TARDIS. <laughs> <laughs> Probably edit that out. However, the Doctor had a spare aboard the TARDIS, which he made use of in the Dalek base on Spyridon. That's amazing. <clears throat> For this model met its demise. Its head was repainted twice, and through the original coat wore off. It was ultimately destroyed when the Terralepto leader forced the Fifth Doctor to drop the screwdriver inside a holding cell, then incinerated it with a blast from a laser gun, causing the Doctor to remark, I feel as though you've just killed an old friend. <laughs> that is, of course, from The Visitation. Interesting episode, that. The Doctor went without a sonic screwdriver for some time after this model, with Nyssa lamenting his decision not to replace it in Snake Dance. The Tenth Doctor also lightly mocked his past incarnation for going hands-free following this incident when their TARDIS has accidentally collided in a time crash. Well, there you go then. Uh, his companion Nardle, the 12th Doctor's companion Nardle, made use of a version of the 4th Doctor's model, which appeared to be kept in the TARDIS when arriving at a war zone where the Daleks and Mavellans skirmished. Oh yeah, that's that's in the pilot. Fine. So, got a few things here for the uses of this particular one. I mean, I think, design-wise, it's... It's hard, because, I mean, I grew up with the 9th and 10th Doctor, uh... So I, I kind of grew up with the sonic screwdriver, A, being blue, B, you know, having the coral theme. So to see the kind of big chunky thing with the with the red, eh, it doesn't, I don't know. That'll be one of those where a different generation will look at that and go, well, that's a sonic screwdriver. Whereas I look at that and I go, that's not a sonic screwdriver. That's just a weird roll with the red thing on it. This blue thing's a sonic screwdriver. And then the generation below me will go, well, that's not a sonic screwdriver. That's a weird small blue thing. This like a sonic screwdriver is this big chunky boy with a green thing on the end of it. And then another generation will go, that's not a sonic screwdriver. A sonic screwdriver is a metal thing with, you know, orange in it. And then the new generation will go, those aren't sonic screwdrivers. Those are little pods. Sonic screwdriver is a big remote control thing, which is that. So, I mean, eh. <laughs> I, you know, I have my opinion on it. I think it's fine. As a design, it's, it's very of its era. Um, yeah, it's 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 not my cup of tea, but, I mean, for a lot of people, that will be what a sonic screwdriver is. So its uses then. The sonic screwdriver was often used for opening doors, and it has listed the following episodes where this definitively happened. The Green Death, the Monster of Peladon, the Mutants, the Pirate Planet, the Ribos Operation, Fort Doomsday. Opening electronic locks like in Carnival of Monsters. And once, Sutex Deflection Barrier. I wonder what episode that will be. It was also capable of scanning for alarm systems at Colonial Space and radiation out of the three Doctors. On occasion, the Doctor used it to either disarm explosive weapons or to detonate them, like in the Sea Devil's robot and Destiny of the Daleks. He often used it to either detect or interfere with circuitry and technology overall. 
i.e. Frontier in Space, Planet of the Daleks, the Centauran Experiment, the Ark in Space, the, and then it's got the Centauran Experiment four more times. I feel like this page might need a little bit of an edit. <clears throat> Sonic Screwdriver also functioned as a conventional screwdriver, a la Monster Repeller on an Ark in Space. Lovely. Sonic Screwdriver also affected uh, alive beings. Third Doctor used it to distract giant maggots uh, and the Green Death and break a hypnotic trance in death to the Daleks. With the screwdriver, the Doctor was also capable of creating a spark of fire, melting plastic veins and creating loud noises, a la Carnival of Monsters and Rude Invasion and Forted Doomsday, respectively. Yeah, so, I mean, certainly during the fourth Doctor's reign, a little bit less so the third, and obviously come the fifth, they pretty much get rid of it. it, it I think the idea that it become a magic wand isn't, quite right up to my memory k9 fixed a lot of episodes more than the sonic screwdriver did and obviously the screwdriver isn't it's never meant to solve the episode it's like a big problem and i don't think it ever really did but then you know i think to the the line from the fourth doctor in invasion of time where he goes oh even the sonic screwdriver won't get me out of this one which implies you know we've even maybe the doctor even thinks that it's you know, this this mighty op. I mean, to be fair, he's literally just talking about opening a door. Like, he's literally going, oh, this can't open this door. What a shame. Yeah, but, you know, Tom's delivery does make it seem a little bit more grandiose than maybe it should be. But, uh, yeah, 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 whatever. So the behind the scenes for the prop, Third Doctor Sonic Screwdriver is a modified prop from the Jerry Anderson film Thunderbirds Go, where it appeared as a screwdriver of the non-Sonic variety. When Century 21 Productions was closed, the prop, among others, was sold off to the BBC. I didn't know that. That's unsurprising. The Sonic Screwdriver was retired during the Fifth Doctor serial of visitation as it was felt that it had been overused. The War Doctor's Sonic Screwdriver prop was created by modifying a Fourth Doctor's Sonic Screwdriver replica toy. <laughs> oh, I love that. I think, I'm, I, think, I, think I do have a, a page for the War Doctors because it is... It does. It is like marketably different. So I think I'd give this screwdriver probably three screwdrivers out of ten because, you know, it was used by three doctors. That's all the justification I need. Cool. Right. Let's move on. Seventh doctor's one. Yeah. Seventh doctor's one. That's what I said. I said seventh doctor's one. But SJD, Sean, the seventh doctor never had a sonic screwdriver. He did in the film for like a minute which is the one the 8th Doctor then used. So as far as I'm concerned, is it the 7th Doctors or the 8th Doctors? I'm going to say it's the 7th Doctors to begin with. Obviously, it is then the 8th Doctors one, which he uses uh, when he crashes on Karn as well. Um, obviously, I'm sure that the, there are going to be novels and audios and all sorts of things left, right, and centre as to how the 7th Doctor gets one. The only thing I care about is what did the movie tell us? And it's not going to be a lot, is it? <clears throat> So again, having a quick scan of the Seventh Doctor Sonic Screwdriver page, all of this is saying, unsurprisingly, audio, audio, comic, prose, prose, audio, prose. Right, so <clears throat> this model looked similar to the screwdriver used by the third, fourth, and fifth incarnations. Silver, with a brass trim ring in the lower grip and a handle that resembled that of the previous Sonic Screwdrivers, now with a flat base and handle. <clears throat> this upper section was able to undergo telescopic collapse for ease of carrying, and at its top, it held an emitter with a silver ring and a red bullet-shaped crystal at its centre. 
So that's certainly what I remember it looking like. I very much remember that being, yeah, fine. Uh, second, final model the Doctor used. Thus far, the Bora and Emitter Ringhead. Fine, and another version of the screwdriver is kept in the 12th Doctor's office. So in terms of uses and whatnot, this is going to be wild. So sonic screwdriver could interact with the variety of locks, including those for caskets and doors. Uh, the Doctor Who movie and Night of the Doctor. Sonic screwdriver had a number of scanning functions, such as scanning bodies for life signs. Can perform maintenance on the TARDIS console as well. And that's, that's actually, amazingly, that's kind of all it's got here. And that's because a lot of this is, you know, <clears throat> what it can do in the books and in the audio and whatnot, which I said, we're just going to, we're just going to skip over. So, I mean, okay, it's, it's pretty, I mean, the design is a design I prefer, I have to say. I like how chunky the red crystal is. It's a little bit smaller. I do like the smaller designs. So I'm going to give this one, ooh, four screwdrivers out of ten. But I'm actually going to adjust the 3rd to 5th Doctors, because although I said it might just be primarily on design, I think use matters. Do you know what? I'm gonna We're going to see three screwdrivers for the 8th Doctors one, the 3rd to the 7th Doctors one, I should say, and five screwdrivers for the 3rd to the 5th Doctors one. Lovely. I will recap this later when I do my whole thing. Maybe I'll just shush. Maybe I'll say, do you know what? The rest of them, we'll find out. So, War Doctors, Sonic Screwdriver. Again, a lot of this is going to be audio, but hey-ho. During his battles in the last Great Time War, the War Doctor used a sonic screwdriver with a simple metallic handle and a red light-emitting diode at the end. Appears to be a further upgraded version of the 8th Doctor's sonic screwdriver, which he kept strapped in a bandolier on his chest. It shared the same casing type as the screwdriver used by the 4th Doctor, but had an extending diode head instead of an emitter head and an additional piece added to the end of the handle that looked like a small red cap. Lovely jubbling. And it, again, it does, it looks like, I would say it looks like a pretty good mash of old to new, which is obviously the, the, the plan for it. Um, the only thing we really see it do is it activates the memory erasing device in the back archive. Um, and obviously making the, the force field that somehow... Because it's used in that scene where the three of them use their sonic screwdriver to blast the Dalek through a painting, which really makes sense, and you know uses it to scan the subroutine of the door, uh, which you know then it's then in the eleventh Doctor screwdriver. Oh, it's a whole. It's fine. It's it's just fine. So the prop itself, modifying a fourth Doctor's toy, which I think is uh, fun. Uh, in this way, much like the Doctor who used it and his TARDIS control room, which also, like the Sonic, was primarily of a silver colour scheme with red highlights, the Sonic combined visual elements of both the classic and revived eras of the show, as its casing was more or less shared by all of the classic Sonics, and having a light-emitting diode emitter and a kind of pommel at the end of the handle are all characteristics of the revived ones, which is very true. Uh, yep, fine. That's about it for the War Doctors. So in design, love it. But again, it doesn't really do much. So that's what I'm going to give it. That's great. I mean, it's four screwdrivers. Uh, so we're not going to move on to the one which I, which, which to me is, you know, the sonic screwdriver. This to me is exactly what a sonic screwdriver is should always be, has always been, will always be, and is the ninth and 10th Doctor's screwdriver. 
following the destruction of his last model, the Ninth Doctor built himself a new sonic screwdriver. That's going to be talking about the one that he'll presumably keep from the War Doctor. This one had a creamy light grey handle with a cracked porcelain texture matching elements on his TARDIS console and rings around the roundels on the control room walls. Silver metal at both the bottom of the handle and the top and was capped off with a black pobble. Its emitter is blue and sat atop a silver metal section attached to a transparent tube containing black and red wires twisted around each other in the centre that was hidden inside the handle until extended by the slider on the side. The Doctor used this model far more frequently than his previous incarnations had done before, and the Tenth Doctor also used the model as he liked tinkering with technology to make devices he needed. This version was burnt out by accident after the Tenth Doctor used it to modify an X-ray output to over 5,000%. Uh, that's in Smith and Jones when he's in the hospital with a plasma bore. However, and he... Did I just call it a plasma bore? Is that what it's called? That's what she's called, right? The blood-sucking vampire. Yeah, plasma one. The one with the straw. Eh, I'm sticking with it. <clears throat> uh, however, and he replaced it with a similar one with a flatter side, two yellow wires in the tube instead of black and red ones and a greyer handle. Though it reverted to its cream handle during his time with Queen Elizabeth and appears to have a blue handle following his regeneration. I love that. Do you know what? I love when... <laughs> I love when the Doctor Who wiki does like write stuff like that. That's so fun because obviously they've just used the first prop and they've used a different prop for the 11th hour. And it's like, hmm, interesting that this seems to have happened and this seems to have happened. I wonder why. I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, this version of the Scrotum Screwdriver was also the first to be shown to have a direct connection to the Doctor Tardis, a la Aliens of London, and could be used to override its functions, a la Utopia. <clears throat> the Tenth Doctor had the screwdriver on his person during his regeneration, but it was damaged repeatedly afterwards, leading to many malfunctions. Despite the damage, the Eleventh Doctor used it to overload technology in an attempt to alert the Atraxi to Prisoner Zero's location. This fired it into useless shard metal, much to his growing annoyance and anger. Discarded, the screwdriver ended up in San... Okay, that sounds like an audio thing. And then obviously it's appearance in Day of the Dutch. You know, I'm going to read that sounds interesting. The screwdriver ended up in San Juan, where it was found by Charlie Sato, who was under orders to take it to the vault. Ultimately, the screwdriver was claimed by the Eighth Doctor, who realised that he had yet to create this particular model. He intended to keep it within a drawer in the TARDIS, finding a programme currently running on it, which is the permanent subroutine continuing the century. <laughs> That's amazing. That is amazing. That episode is called The Turn of the Screw. Um, it's the exact sort of reason why, if you if you can, you absolutely should check out all the Big Finish stuff. It is filled with glorious little tales like that. Absolutely glorious. I love that so much. So its uses then. Lots of them, of course. It opens the door, uh, frees the ninth drop from his manacles, it can unlock handcuffs, it locks and unlocks a hatch in Cybers Industries, unlocks taxi doors and windows, hacks into websites, uh, bypasses the key needed to the secret basement in H.C. Clements, opening airtight seals, uh, unsuccessfully activating emergency bypass switches, bypassing and turning off security systems, uh, trying unsuccessfully to hack into New York's police communications to call for help, Allah Gridlock, destroying security cameras, opening and closing, well, I mean, when it says opening and closing the Titanic's doors, I mean doors, it can open and close doors, we don't need to, 
specify it all. Uh, fusing a lock shut. Um, turning off security beams. Yeah, opening and closing things is very good at. Famously. Uh, acting as a medical scanner and diagnostic tool, which at first is an empty child, which is pretty cool. Uh, partially reversing the absorbable laws of absorption of Ursula Blake. Building a DNA scanning device and scanning for fluctuating DNA, specifically that of Professor Lazarus. Diagnostic, detecting and stopping telepathic signals. Scanning a life form for information, uh, which it does to Donna Noble, I think, in The Runaway Bride. Yeah, because they're on the roof, and that's when he's like, I here by the biodamp. Uh, scanning shadows for the presence of Vashtanarada. Checking Crusader 50's control console for faults. Scanning for info stamps. Yeah. <clears throat> Detecting time traces. Detecting the progress of the War Doctor's calculation and scanning a crack in with the opponent's wall. And then a whole, like, technology-wise, but whatever you need it to. Like, that is over the top. I'm going to stop there. There's an awful lot. Basically, there's... Ninth and tenth, uh, the screwdriver can pretty much do everything now. Whatever you need it to do, it can do. Um, so long as it never um, solves the plot. As long as it isn't the way you resolve the plot, you can use the sonic screwdriver pretty much for anything. The one time I think, I personally think it goes way too far is in uh, closing time. When it somehow knocks out a cyber map, I think that yeah, Sonic Screwdriver shouldn't be doing that at all. Um, and I know some people had a bit of beef with the fact that the Fourteenth Doctor Screwdriver could like build a big barrier, but I love it. I love it. Why not? Why not? Sure, sure. Because it doesn't fix the plot hole. It doesn't fix the overall plot. It's just a way to get them out of that room. And fine, it's fun. I love it. Behind the scenes, Sonic Screwdriver prop. Two main versions of the 10th Doctor Sonic Screwdriver. One which has a slide feature and one which doesn't slide and has a fixed button. I didn't know that, actually. That's pretty cool. Uh, early conceptual art of the first modern era Sonic Screwdriver features a different tube section. Notes refer to glowing organic circuitry and a movable bow joint in the emitter to allow use around corners and tight spaces. Instead of the glowing circuitry, the actual prop and toy reproductions featured a black swivel, blah, 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 blah. A lot of this is a bit boring. And yeah, it turns up in other places. Great. Anyway, so like I said, that is my favourite Sonic screwdriver. It gets, uh, oh, I don't know. Well, it, it's the one I grew up with, I should say. And it gets nine screwdrivers. Yeah. Uh, the next one I want to look at, actually, I'm going to take a little bit of a sidestep to River Songs. Now, River Song Screwdriver, uh, of course, makes its appearance in Silence in the Library, uh, which, I mean, I'm, I'll probably do a whole episode, a whole um, show on Silence in the Library. I think it is just beyond sensational. Uh, but the, it, it, this is the screwdriver that has, you know, dampers, it has a red setting, it has all that fun stuff. And we see the 12th Doctor give that to River uh, on, their, on their last night on Derillium. Uh, so yeah, River Song owned a Sonic Screwdriver. Get through. I mean, I just said all that. So, um, as part of a way to enable his tenth incarnation to save River's consciousness after her death. I do you know? I forget it does that. Uh, River Song Sonic Screwdriver resembled a heavily modified version of the model Sonic Screwdriver used by the Doctor's ninth and tenth incarnations. 
screwdriver fitted with dampers, red settings, and a neural relay data chip. Among its functions, most of which were shared with the Dr. Screwdriver, River Screwdriver was capable of increasing the mesh densities of her expedition suits to over 800%. Mm. Activating and disabling the library's gravity platforms, slowing the descent of a fall within a gravity well, fixing light bulbs, and storing the consciousness of an individual held within its neural relay. Lovely. Doctor, having previously saved, yada yada yada, yep, fine, 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 fine. Yeah. Oh my god! So, 12th Doctor, during his last date with the River and the Singing Towers at Rillium, gifted the screw... Sorry, I went silent there. Uh, gifted the screwdriver to her. This was the first gift the Doctor personally gave to River face-to-face -face after seeing that she was using a sonic trill, which he found, in quotes, embarrassing. When the Doctor gave River the screwdriver, he scanned her with it for the neural relay under the guise of playfully demonstrating it to her. That's amazing! So I let that scene literally came into my head. And I was like, it's so bizarre that the doctor goes, wee hee 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 and then puts it back. That's what he's doing. That's amazing. Oh, God, the show never stops being brilliant. I have been watching the show religiously since series three. Uh, I did watch it when it came back for series one. Series four is the one that I fell in love with more than anything. So, you know, 15, 16 years I've been watching and loving this show. I've seen every single episode, not a lot of them, but they haven't all stuck in my head, of course. Classic-wise, the new ones all generally have. I And it doesn't matter how much you watch the show, there is always something new to learn and find out. And, oh, that is amazing. That's amazing. Well, for that alone, this gets 10 screwdrivers. That's great. God, I love it. I mean, let's be honest, it is an updated version of my favourite one, so of course I'm going to love it. We're now going to move on to, um, do you know what, I was going to, we're not going to do that. We're going to look at the 11th and 12th Doctors. I think we're about halfway through, roughly. We've got 11th Doctor screwdriver. Um, I want to briefly touch on, uh, do you know what, no I don't. No, I don't. So we've got 11th, then we have 12th, 13th, 14th and 15th, and then we are more or less done cool right let's have a look then so clever doctor sonic screwdriver <clears throat> big and chunky green beautiful big compensating for what regeneration it's a lottery uh, again so we'll kind of run through this a little bit faster um, I am going to make a little bit of an assumption that people just because you know all the, the new series is you know more recent you're probably going to know a little bit more about the more recent screwdrivers and what they can and can't do. But after the loss of his previous model, the TARDIS gifted the 11th Doctor with a redesigned sonic screwdriver, differing radically from the last screwdriver with his extendable claws and green crystalline emitter resembling the inner structure of the TARDIS's new time rotor. It also had copper plating, similar to the new control room. Psychic interface allowed its user to point it at a target and think of the function they wanted. I... I don't like that. Having been mentioned to be more than Sonic, don't like it. The screwdriver also shot beams of green energy in the shape of Sonic waves. Hate it. By at least the time of the Doctor's 13th regeneration, it had a voice activation feature, which the Doctor forgot about when he needed it. Rubbish. It had a change that could last centuries. Had a charge, sorry, that could last centuries. Once lasted 300 years before the Doctor could charge it in the TARDIS. 
Oh, so that that's basically a summary of everything I don't like about how the sonic screwdriver is used with the eleventh doctor and the twelfth, of course. This is where it becomes overused. It does everything and anything. I think the cleverest thing he does with the screwdriver is uh, fool the wooden Cyberman into like tor torture it like a it's putting itself on fire. Um, but I this is just yeah. There, there's there's a, there's now now that it's doing and has done so much, like this is over the top with what it's got as an option so retaining an effectiveness against wood it also didn't work against peg dolls or the wooden king and queen well why would it work against peg dolls wooden king and queen they're made of wood the doctor considered it embarrassing and said i need to invent a setting for wood and similar situations he yelled at, at it in panic aliens made of wood you knew this was always going to happen yes i know it's wood get over it great lines from the great episode the doctor the widow and the wardrobe Though aware of this flaw, he was still able to successfully bluff a wooden Cyberman into destroying itself. I said that. Uh, he also once defended this weakness, saying, Oi, don't diss the Sonic. At some point, I had an anti-freeze setting. At some point. Love that. This screwdriver was also shown to have a red setting in Cold War, similar to River's Sonic screwdriver. Model was lost and replaced by the Doctor repeatedly, having been bitten in half by a Sky Shark and left behind. Left with the Ganger Doctor, destroyed by Danny Fisher, and in uh, that's a comic, so we don't care about that. Moving on. Ultimately, he left one of his screwdrivers with Davros after abandoning him as a child. Davros examined the screwdriver during his teenage years, upgrading its defensive laser into a true weapon. Davros uh, had it in his possession for many years after until Colony Sarf returned it to the Doctor. By this point, it was no longer of any real use to him, as it had become heavily damaged and inoperable, visibly weather-beaten from exposure to war and conflict, and with one of the clawed prongs broken off. Pretty says that not when he gets the... That's when he gets the glasses, isn't it? He uses the sonic sunglasses after that for a while. And they're fine. They're fine. Hey, hey, yeah, I mean, you can probably tell from the tone, I'm not the biggest fan of the screwdriver at all. I think its design is fine. Uh, it's certainly, it was a very fun toy to have. I used to carry it around with me all the time in my uh, in my tweed jacket, which I think I still have upstairs somewhere in the accompanying blue bow tie. Um, but, yeah, I... And as much as I gave the first screwdriver one out of ten screwdrivers because... It doesn't really do much. I'm giving this the same because it does too much. It, it kind of goes from exactly what you wanted a sonic screwdriver to do and be to just, you know, why? Why is it doing everything? Why is it? Uh, yeah, anyway. So 12 Doctors 1. Uh, I love the design of this, I have to say. So uh, there's a lot of yada, 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 yada. Uh, new model, very mechanical and complicated looking, TARDIS blue, metal handle with multiple emitters. Once again, resembling the inner structure of the time rotor itself. I have to say, I hadn't noticed that, but that's pretty cool. The emitter is once again blue in colour, and the ring of emitters could all light up in a circling motion when activated. He continued to use his sonic sunglasses as well, thus giving him two choices of sonic instruments. Screwdriver could go blue, red, or green. It was still ineffectual against wood, obviously. After generating into the 13th Doctor, the TARDIS console room exploded due to the damage it took from the intensity of the regeneration energy. The Doctor was thrown out of the TARDIS from the explosion, causing her to freefall to the Earth's surface as she fell. She lost this sonnet screwdriver along with everything else in her pockets. Great. Again, it does everything that the, that the plot needs it to. It, it's 
it gets a little bit more for me because I like the design. Um, but realistically, I mean, it, it only it was only there for a season, so I didn't really have a lot to get right or get wrong, really. So we're going to say two screwdrivers. Well, let's let's say let's let's say two screwdrivers. Let's say it's one Sonnet sunglasses out of ten screwdrivers. <clears throat> so thirteenth Doctor screwdriver. Uh, I hate the design with a burning passion. I hate the way it's uh, concocted. I I don't buy for a single second that 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 she could build a sonic screwdriver that does all the things a sonic screwdriver needs to do with Sheffield steel and a bloody Stenza crystal. I just don't. I no didn't like that at all. Um. So. Blah, blah, blah. As a result of losing everything in her pockets, the doctor chose to build one of her own in a workshop in Sheffield. This one was far simpler in appearance than the last screwdriver, with a simple steel body and a crystal on the tip that glowed amber while in use, taken from a Stenza transport, Stenza transport chamber. The versions of Mitter now glowed yellow and orange, when had previously been red, blue and green with claws deployed, or a large amount of glowing in a rotating fashion. It was also the first of the Doctor's sonic devices to have a curved handle, allowing for more natural grip as it fitted around one's palm. Comparing it to a Swiss Army knife but without the knife, the Doctor explained that it functioned not only as a screwdriver, but as a scanner and a tin opener, and it could be used for diagnostics following its loss. Ah, that's something about the 40, that's a comic. And uh, had a self-rebooting feature, allowing it to restore power if drained, and it could not work on machinery if the power cells were fluctuating. When a Thajarian remnant sample overloaded, uh, overloaded the Sonic for having too many inputs, the Doctor noted that this had never happened before. This was because of the immeasurably high density of the substance containing the remains of Thajar and all their ancestors. On another occasion, the Sonic could calculate such an impossible density, but that density blew its mind. To the Doctor's extreme surprise, the Sonic could be rendered inoperative by Recon Scout Daleks. <laughs> hate everything about it like for every single thing it's just an awful look it's one of those where where i think the ninth and especially tenth doctor used the sonic often enough that you knew it was a thing you knew what it could and couldn't do come the eleventh doctor it could do too much Come the thirteenth Doctor, it doesn't do enough. It barely gets a look in. Whenever it does, it it's just it's it's, it's so bizarre because obviously it's a sonic screwdriver. Like theoretically, they should all be able to do the same darn thing, but obviously they can't. Fine. Arguably, they get they should you know be able to do more things as as time progresses and as the Doctor gets older and blah blah blah. blah. But this one, it sets wrong with me because I think. Whenever you do see it used, you, it's it's like not even that it fixes things. It's just you're going, oh, the Sonic does that, and then it's gone for four episodes, and then it comes back, and you go, hey, the Sonic, oh wait, it does that now, and then it's gone again. Like it's not used often enough for the things that I feel like it should be. Like literally, whenever the Doctor whaps it out to open a door, golden. Whenever the Doctor whaps it out to fiddle with a wire or do like, oh, I love that stuff. Like because that's what it should be. It should be a tool. And I don't know, this, it doesn't, I just like this, this whole stuff about how it can now be overloaded, like it's just, the, the, the contrivances do my head in. Like the Sonic 
cannot be fiddled with stuff. Well, maybe this one can. Maybe because this one was made from scraps in a workshop, it's a bit flimsy. Fine. I despise it with a burning passion, and it gets zero screwdrivers out of 10. Doesn't even doesn't get anything. No handles, no nothing. Now, the 14th Doctor screwdriver, I, I think, is all right. I think the design of it is fine. Um, I think it's it's a touch busy in the same way that I think 12s was a touch busy. Uh, obviously, it's a screwdriver for the 60th anniversary special. So it's got the claws of 11s. Uh, it's got, you know, the blue light from 10s. It's got a bit of the porcelain stuff from 10. It's a good amalgamation of kind of what has come before, which is fine. Uh, so Sonic Screwdriver had similar design element. That's what I just said. To previous Sonic Screwdrivers and other devices, the wide area dispersal pedals and the resonator cage, similar to the 11s. The handle, similar to 9 and 10s, made from coral. The frequency and intensity dials, similar to the Master's Laser Screwdriver cage. Uh, oh, God, God, there's just so much. It, it's fine. It's great. It's a Sonic Screwdriver, and it goes buzz. Does what you want it to. Yeah, what we see this thing do is glorious. So... <clears throat> Unsecuring a fence panel, unlock doors, creating a holographic screen and adjusting the dials to begin analyzing data. Love it, love it, love it. Uh, raise a soldier's visor, which is great. Generate shields to stop bullets and neuralize anesthetic shots. Love it. Resonating with mortar in a brick wall to break it apart. Intercepting Warth Warrior teleportation beam. Reconfigure and initiate the TARDIS's regeneration when inserted into the ship's keyhole. Changing multiple monitors and screens to display recordings of Stooky Bill. It's great. It's, do you know what? It to me is, uh, Russell T. Davis is lean into fantasy. I am all on board with. I am psyched for it. I think... The idea that the screwdriver can do all this, I, I love. I absolutely love it. I love that it's new, it's different, it's interesting. Doesn't solve anything. I don't know. I, maybe, maybe it's a bit contradictory because I don't like elevens and thirteens for very similar reasons. But I just, it was so, it was cool. Do you know what I mean? It was cool. It wasn't bzz, zap. Cyberman can't move. It was. I'm going to make a big old force field, not a weapon. I'm not going to use this to attack anyone. It's a shield because it's, it's, it's. Glorious, it's a tool, it's defensive, I love it. Uh, so behind the scenes, some of the design choices of the Sonic Screwdriver were Easter eggs, as revealed by props makers. Some of the uh, universe details included the, uh, yeah, all the stuff that was mentioned up the top. Uh, Van Pesteren revealed that the 15th Doctor Screwdriver was a distinct model from the 14th, well, obviously. I mean, fine, yeah, and then it's just about toys and whatnot. So I, I love this screwdriver, I really, really do. It's, I, I think it's great for what, it, for what it's for, and it gets eight screwdrivers from me. Lower than rivers and uh tens, of course, but I do I do love the 14th Doctor Screwdriver. And then we come to the 15th Doctor Screwdriver. Now we've only really seen it in oh, what, one episode? I think we've only seen it in one, haven't we? So bore less of a physical resemblance to a screwdriver than previous models, looks more like a remote control. Two large bulbous sections joined in the middle of the circular emblem and spray with the poem and Gallifreyan. Uh, the uses that we've seen from it so far change the traffic light from red to green. Detects a two carat diamond ring in the pocket of a policeman, opens several doors, and functions as a torch. Uh, I mean, everything everything about that is, is just great. Uh, I'm not going to go into too much detail about my opinions on Church on Ruby Road. Uh, I loved it. 
uh, in terms of where I think the future of Doctor Who is going, I, I've, I've, it's the most excited I've been about Doctor Who in about six years when they announced that the Master was coming back, but like fanatically overboard excited since probably the 50th anniversary. I love Shooty's Doctor. I love his outfit. I love his energy. I love his delivery. I love his quirk. He's the first Doctor, I think, that has so quickly captured the alien nature of it since Tom Baker. And I don't mean that like more recent Doctors haven't been alien. Um, Peter Capaldi is my favourite Doctor, or certainly is is joint with Shooty at the moment. I think Shooty, after his first season, if it's consistently this good, Shooty will be my favourite by a country mile. <clears throat> um, but he... The just the 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 level of alienness in the sense that Tom Baker would, you know, one of my favorites is and um, what's it the one with the Rutans? What's it called? They're on the light. They're on the light. The light. The lighthouse. Uh, horror Fang Rock. Um, and he says, you know, this lighthouse is under attack, and by morning we might all be dead. And he's got a massive smile. And there's a point where. Uh, the fifteenth Doctor does that. I can't remember. It's, I think it's on the. I think it's on the ladder. He's like, "Oh yeah, we're going up there. Oh, it's really now We could die." <laughs> Big smile. Or like when he's looking at the baby going to get eaten by the Goblin King, and he's like, "Whoa, this is so cool!" And Ruby goes, "Oi, what about the? You know, move on." And the Doctor's like, "What? Oh yeah, uh, right, okay, move on." Then. Um, he's so quirky. He's got elements of eight as well. Uh, I'm thinking when he's speaking to the policeman in the same way when eight's talking to the guy in the. Um, oh my god, at the New Year's Eve party and he's like, you know, you do this and da -da 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 -da. uh, you know, you're here's a jelly baby and you know, you're gonna think you wanna answer the second question, but don't answer the first. Like that kind of weird, how do you know that? Shoot, he's got that vibe going as well. Obviously a lot of it is the writing. Um, but he's uh, it's just oh stunning. I will I will go over Church of Ruby Road a long, a lot, a lot. Some some point later, not right now. But anyway, uh, so the screwdriver we've barely seen it. I hate the design. I do hate it with a passion. I'm sure I'll come to love it, but at the moment, it only gets one screwdriver from me. So, I mean, that's what one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven screwdrivers, including rivers. Ten if we don't. Lowest one obviously being thirteens, and um, next one being uh, okay, the first ever screwdriver, 11 and 12 screwdriver, 15th screwdriver. Then I would say 12 screwdriver. Uh, then we're looking at the one that the 8th Doctor primarily used, the one that the War Doctor used, the one, you know, the main one from 3rd to 5th, and then uh, the 14th Doctor screwdriver, which I love, the 9th and 10th Doctor screwdriver, which I grew up with, and a river screwdriver, which just made little fanboy Sean go through the roof. And that's kind of that. That is the main bulk of the podcast, actually. That is the whole, that is the main bit of the shebang. Um, there are a few other wee bits and pieces that I will just kind of go over, I guess, because there is some other things. So <clears throat> that's the, like I said, that's the main bit. We did the news, did that. Now we're just going to do a little bit of uh, of personal stuff, kind of just what, what's happening in Sean's life at the moment. So not in terms of like, you know, my, my, my personal life, but in terms of, you know, what sort of things I said, I was, I said, I like video games, what am I playing, what am I, what am I watching, what have I been reading? Um, don't read a lot. Um, primarily I read, uh, to my wife at night to help her get to sleep. 
Um, we've been reading a series of unfortunate events. We just finished the second book. Uh, we've just started the third. Uh, I've seen the film. Haven't seen the TV show yet with Neil Patrick Harris. I've been told I'm not allowed to until we finish the books, which is fair enough. I don't know what happens in any of them, so I'm going in completely blind. Uh, and they're 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 really good. If you've never read them before, they're I would certainly advise as a reading them to a child or having a child read them. They're certainly not written for adults or young adults either. Um, they're very much children's books. Yeah, and they're they're, they're fine. They're they're good. They're 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 there they are what they are and um, i've also just got about halfway through the novelization of carnival of monsters uh which i think is a terence dix one i mean it's a fair bet that it's terence dix he does most of them could be a malcolm hawk um <clears throat> which i mean it's one of those where because there are about a thousand doctor who novels now unless it's an original story I kind of have to go to a point where if if it stopped gripping me, I'll stop reading. And Carnival of Monsters halfway through is just stop. Like the first chapter, the first chapter of Carnival of Monsters, if you can find it online anywhere, do so, read it. The first chapter is sensational. It does world building in a way that sci-fi wishes it could do. And it's almost a shame that the writer of the book couldn't have just done a whole story set on this amazing world that they build up with uh, the functionaries and uh, the main one's called Pletrak, but for the life of me, I can't remember what the species name is. Um, it's, it's it's phenomenal. It's absolutely, and lends a lot of context to, to what happens in the episode. The episode itself is fine, um, but it's it's kind of, it's drags on a wee bit, unfortunately. We've also been reading a, uh, Basil of Baker Street, uh, which the film Basil the Great Mouse Detective is based on. They're very, very short chapters. They're it's very charming. It's very good. It's adorable. Again, it's one of those, I guess, if you if you know where it is, um, or if you can find it anywhere, give it a give it a read. It's great. Uh something I've been watching recently. Um we've just finished recently watched Wreck It Ralph, which is a brilliant film. I completely forgot the twist ending, so spoiler alert for this 12-year-old film. Um, the bad guy, who's voiced by Alan Tudyk, turns out to be Turbo. So at the beginning of the film, they, they talk about how, oh no, Ralph's going Turbo. Ah, uh, what does that mean, asks Ralph and the entire audience. And someone explains to him, oh, it's because this dude Turbo, you know, he was, he was awfully popular in his game and then he stopped being popular and so he left and started invading other people's games and uh, it was a whole shebang and, and I, I just kind of went, oh, what a moron. And then we moved on. And then when King Candy starts flashing, I literally screamed. I mean, I've seen this film before, but I, I mean, I've got the memory of a goldfish. So I was I was just like, what the heck? This is insane. It's terrible. And then I was like, wait, hold on. Alan Tudyk has been in pretty much every Disney film since. Turbo succeeded! So as far as I'm concerned, every character that Alan Tudyk voices, including Hey Hey the Chicken, is actually Turbo. That is my headcanon. Also watched Big Hero 6. Uh, annoyingly not as not as good as I remember it. I remember watching that in the cinema 10 years ago. I think it was brilliant. And this time around, it just, it just didn't grab me. I mean, Baymax is just the most adorable character in the world. But 
the plot was contrived as hell. And I think I think coming off the back of Wreck It Ralph and having a villain who's a villain because he's a villain, rather than a villain who's a villain because of a tragic backstory or money or well, he's not actually a villain, he's just a bit misguided. Like to have a guy, he's just evil. King Candy Shook Turbo is just selfish and evil. That's all like he will kill if he needs to, he will just he's just an absolute evil, evil little thing. And then Big Hero Six is a bit Eh, but Baymax is cool as hell. Like he's so cool, he's wonderful. Um, we've also uh, what else have we been watching? We're on our second rewatch of the Super Mario Brothers movie. Remember the first time we watched that, we were bowled over by how good it was. It's not quite holding up to a second rewatch, annoyingly. Um, but mainly that's just because we know what's coming, and I think a lot of the fun with the Super Mario Brothers movie is not knowing, uh, what reference is about to come up. So I think when you know the references that are coming, it's like, oh, it's that one. Great. Um, also, a show called Richard Osman's House of Games. If you've never watched it, I would highly recommend finding it and, and watching it. It is absolutely brilliant. Uh, we'll be watching Modern Family as well, which is great. Um, it's kind of about it's kind of about out for the watching stuff. So playing, there's a fair amount. I've been doing a lot of... Um, I've decided to start doing hardcore Nuzlocke and a lot of the early Pokemon games. Um, which I play on, a, on the emulator on my laptop. Uh, so I did red, blue, yellow, and gold. Died in them all after like the first gym. Uh, I was doing one on the Switch. Uh, was I playing? I think I was playing Sword. And I got past the sixth gym before losing everything and everyone and all my hopes and dreams. Um, so I'm now currently doing a silver one. And I have. What is. What's mad about. What's mad about nuzlocking in Pokemon games? So if you don't know what that is, it's where you take a Pokemon game and you add a couple of extra rules to it. So, <clears throat> general listener, if you don't, if you know, I'm pretty sure everyone knows what Pokemon is. The games, you know, you think maybe you know a, you think maybe it's a kids game. Maybe b, you go, well, I've played them, but they are quite easy or whatever. Uh, Nuzlocke aims to make Pokemon games really, really challenging. So, the first major rule in a Nuzlocke is any Pokemon that you have, if they faint, so if they, you know, go to zero HP in battle, they're dead. You cannot use them again. You're not allowed to revive them. You have to either put, you have to, like, release them into the wild, basically, right? That's the that's the main one. And the other one is that you have to name your Pokemon as well. The idea being that you get a little bit attached. Now, I always name my starter after my wife, so whenever my starter dies, we both have a little cry. <laughs> Now, there are a lot of other options. There, there's that, that's like a basic Nuzlocke. The hardcore Nuzlocke adds a few extra things, like um, it adds elements of randomness in there. So if you go into a cave or whatever, like random encounters in Pokemon are, you could go into a cave, and as you're walking around, one of any five Pokemon could appear. The hardcore Nuzlocke rule is whatever that first one is, that's the one you catch, that's the one that's on your team. Good luck to you. Uh, there is something called a duplicate clause. So if you've already caught a Pokemon, say you go, there's two caves, you go in one cave and you catch a Zubat, and you go in another cave and the first thing that comes up is a Zubat, well, fine, catch the next thing. <clears throat> um, no items in battle, so you can't heal in the middle of a battle. Can't use potions or anything like that. Can't use antidotes if you get poisoned. Um, basically, all the stuff that is in any action, RP action RPG, any turn-based RPG, Imagine, let's say you're a Final Fantasy fan and you're going to play Final Fantasy, but you can't heal. You know, you've got 
200 HP left and you know you're about to get attacked and it's your turn and all you can do is, well, nothing. And it's, like, it's that idea that if you died in a Final Fantasy game, what happens is you go to game over. That's it, that's the end. And Pokemon, you just go back to the Pokemon Center and carry on because it's a kid's game. And the most recent one that I've put in is a level cap. So you cannot level your Pokemon higher than the next boss trainer's highest level Pokemon, which is the one that's killing me at the moment, I have to say. Um, because I'm, I'm used to just, you know, I take six Pokemon, uh, I give them a wide variety of moves of different types um, so that I can basically, basically bulldoze through anything and just heal when I need to. That's been my tactic for 20 years. 25? How old am I? Yeah, no, 20 years, yeah, because Pokemon Gold was my first one in 2000. Oh, 2000. 24 years I've been playing Pokemon then. Jesus. God, I'm old. Um, so it's interesting to have that. That doesn't work anymore. And it's a lot more fun. It's a lot more engaging. I would highly recommend anybody play Pokemon like that. It is, it is really a lot of fun. Uh, there's also a series called Dynasty Warriors, which I've been playing, which I absolutely adore. I've been playing that since I was, a, since I was little as well. Um, also Formula One games, obviously being a Formula One fan and a video gamer, I absolutely love the Formula One games. Uh, and I guess the big game I've been playing story-wise is Arkham City, which I'm playing for the first time. Although I do know the big twist, spoilers, that the Arkham Knight, uh, wait, did I say Arkham City? I meant Arkham Knight. I've played Arkham City. Arkham City was great. I'm playing Arkham Knight. The Arkham Knight is Jason Todd. Um, <clears throat> but it's a brilliant, it's a brilliant game. Um, if you're not into video games, then I guess the past five minutes has been useless for you. Apologies. If you aren't into video games, well, hey, uh, I can potentially in the future do do podcasts on video games. I'm not really planning to, but you never know. Um, like I said, Doctor Who is going to be the main source of of stuff for these podcasts going forward. Um, but I am more than happy to do other stuff. Like I said at the beginning, I'll talk about anything. Uh, that I find interesting. If I like it, I'll talk about it. Doctor Who just happens to be the thing that I, off the top of my head, know the most about, um, along with Eurovision until SSG Formula 1. Um, but yeah, that that's uh, I think that's the thing that's it. As, as one of my favourite YouTubers always says, uh, with that, I think we're done. <clears throat> so, yeah, I think... Yeah, that is definitely us. So I've got... Uh, a fair few bits and pieces. I've got a TikTok, which you can find at the SGD show. Um, I have a Patreon, which is the SGD show as well. Uh, but there is, like, that. that's there as a... Hi, did you enjoy it? Great. Keep listening to it for free. It doesn't cost you any money. If you decide that you want to contribute in some way, shape, or form, you're very welcome to. It's a dollar a month. I don't want or expect more than that. Um, I don't really expect anything, to be honest. But, hey, it's there if you want to. Um, there is also uh, YouTube. This will this will be going up on YouTube as well, which is, again, the SGD Show. I think that's the SGD Show podcast. Uh, this will be going up on Spotify as well. Wherever you're listening to this now, great. It's in a lot of other places. But, hey, you found a place you like it, listening to it, love it, great. Keep doing so. Um, I guess wherever it is, if there is a like button, hit a like button. If there's a subscribe button, hit a subscribe button. If there's a, oh, he was pretty good button, hit that. If there is like a five-star system, give me some kind of star. I don't mind. It can be one. It can be five. If you can give me more, do it. If you want to leave a review, leave a review. If you don't, don't. You just live your life the way you want to live it. 
I am happy either way. Thank you for listening to me ramble on about all sorts of random stuff. And thank you so much for listening. Take care, and I'll see you next time on the SJD Show.